You are now listening to Angry Black Gay, hosted by Christopher Marcus Johnson. So people need to know on this stage, don't come for me unless I sin for you. I said what I said. When I'm done, I'm done. I'm not like, I'm not going back and forth. And you're able to move on? I'm not crazy. And not... Hello, hello. Welcome back to Angry Black Gay. I'm Christopher Marcus Johnson. I am your host, and this is episode three. We are going to do a little bit of a diversion from our traditional setup. Today is going to be an episode where we focus on a specific topic. I think I'm going to call this type of episode kind of uh, like a deeper look, a play on my Instagram name, uh, My Curve Goes Deep. So in this deeper look, we are going to be talking about adoption. In episode two, we talked about attachment theory, and I kind of briefly touched on my adoption experience. And I did a poll on my Instagram live where I asked my followers what topic they would like to see me discuss next um, in my next podcast, and people chose adoption. So I kind of wanted to try out recording an episode on uh, a platform live. I did a TikTok live on Friday. And I had a good amount of viewers in there, and the the live ended up going way longer than I thought, and I opened up way more than I intended to, and I was recording that audio, and I just was editing the audio and was still going to do a regular episode, and the podcast or the audio from the TikTok live was just so powerful, and I couldn't really chop and screw it up any, and so I decided to just make it an episode. Now, this <laughs> is going to be a very long episode, and it is essentially trauma dumping, and it gets really dark, and it is an ADHD masterclass in the way that I jump back and forth through topics, but if you sit down and pay attention and maybe get a glass of wine or smoke a blunt or do something and just give it your full undivided attention i promise you it will be very very entertaining um and worth the length i don't even know i'm recording this intro i have no idea how long this is and i'm not going to chop it down there also will be a part two i kind of (laughs) stop in the middle of the story because i had to get off of live and go somewhere uh time blindness is also a side effect of adhd but it's a very good episode it is um kind of edited but it got so long and i just feel like it it's better when it's kind of unfiltered and a little bit raw so towards the end there it might Um, You will hear things that are just from somebody being on the internet live, but please enjoy this deeper look at my adoption journey, and I apologize for the delay of this episode, but again, the length of this audio for a full-time student is absolutely wild. All right, guys, enjoy. Hello. Hi, me again. Um, I also just kind of want to give a brief trigger warning. I do talk about things like struggling with mental health and child abuse, so please be prepared. This... um, is a little bit darker but it is still funny you will still learn something so please enjoy in the last episode of my podcast i discussed attachment theory and how being adopted affected my attachment style and kind of how i am in relationships and i got a bunch of questions from friends of mine or people who listen to the podcast dm'd me and asked me questions and then i did a poll on my instagram which if you're not following me on Instagram and you're a fan of my podcast, you're slipping because that poll was either I was going to talk about being polyamorous and being in an uh, ethically non-monogamous relationship, which basically means an open relationship, or being adopted. 
and everybody chose being adopted. It's a close tie, but everybody chose being adopted. I'm 29 years old. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. So I was born in Denver, Colorado. My birth mother um, is a black woman and she struggled with depression and bipolar disorder and drug use, specifically crack cocaine and alcohol use. I promise you, I'm getting new glasses soon because these are just really bothering me. Um, excuse me. She had an older daughter, my sister, who is five or six years older than me. And her daughter was living with her mother, so essentially my sister's grandmother. And she decided to give me up for adoption. Meanwhile, my parents, who adopted me, were struggling to have kids and had been struggling for the entirety of their marriage, which at that point was eight years, and decided to adopt. Now, from what I've been told, my mother was eager to adopt and my dad was the one who was kind of dragging his feet because he wanted to have a kid the traditional way. Um, well, so they ended up adopting me through a Christian adoption agency. And I think my birth, birth mother was able to hand pick me and select me as, or select my family as my family. And then when I was born, my parents came and picked me up from the hospital and I've lived with them ever since. Um, and one would think that this, that's a happy ending and that's where the story would end, but it doesn't. So right after having me 13 months later, my brother was born. My parents miraculously could have kids. And I don't mean that in like a shady way. I genuinely mean they did not do in vitro, um, or anything like that. They just, the fertility issues were gone once I came around. Which, you know, when you're the star of the family, I'm just kidding. Um, so I, they had my brother. He's 13 months apart from me. And then they had my sister. And I'm 94, she's 97. So we're three years apart. I have a younger sister. So it's three kids, me, my brother, and my younger sister. Uh, you know, this is a legal disclaimer. I don't want no lawsuits from any bitter... Um, characters in this story time but when my brother was born he became the firstborn to my mother and in my opinion to my father as well and there are some reasons why that is the case i was a feminine little boy gay straight up out the uterus okay um, so they, they told, I told my parents, I tell this story all the time that I wanted to marry Prince Eric from the Little Mermaid when I was three. And they were like, okay. Um, I love the Little Mermaid, by the way. I, I loved it so much as a kid and I have a tattoo of it. So I really would swim around in the pool and talk about Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid this, Eric this, Tales. Then when the second one came out, you could not tell me like anything. Oh my God, big fan. 
So I think me being feminine and them not really knowing what to do with me and being very, very religious and homophobic and then for, you know, okay, so to drop a little teeth that I don't, I didn't want to talk about now yet, but my father at some point down the road when I was 17 came out as a gay man. And so though he had those feelings, um, homosexual feelings, desires, tendencies, way before getting married, um, you know, very naturally whenever kids start have feelings in their hormones and he just shoved them down. So I think that that also played a role behind the scenes. Um, I've also been told, again, this is allegedly, that before my mom married my dad, the people were telling her not to marry him because he seemed gay. Now, my dad has always been my dad. And knowing him as an adult now, I'm like, oh yeah, he's gay. But so I don't really know. Girl, this is so bothersome. I don't really know. But my glasses keep slipping off my face, for those of you who are listening to the um, audio version of this. And, you know, then my brother is their birth child, the first one that they had together. And even now that we're adults, my brother looks so much like not even my dad or my mom, like my uncle. It's very clear. You can identify it. You can see it. People have been telling him he looks like my uncle since the day he popped out the womb. And so I feel like naturally, I have no resentment about this, just naturally, that would lead for a little bit of favoritism and excitement because it's a different, it's a different experience to have a child than to have an adopted child. And so I think that some of that is natural and I had to do a lot of therapy and a lot of work to not be resentful about that portion and understand that people are people and like, like what, how people have emotions and how things would just naturally and logically play out based on certain, a certain set of circumstances. Goodness, slow down. Also, there was no secret that I was adopted. So my parents would read, they would read me like books that are about like the little elephant is getting adopted or, um, you know, just they would always at very young age break down exactly what happened to me. This was also what they call a closed adoption. And what that means is that there was no contact, there was no photos, there could have been a letter. In some cases, there is a letter. In this case, there was not a letter given. Um, there was names, so I knew what her name was, and that was it. And so they would always tell me her name, and they would be like, oh, it's Mama Blank. And that's your mom. Her name is, oh, no, they would have me call her Miss. 
So Miss and then her name. And it was just something that was immediately ingrained into my mind. Um, growing up as a kid. And then they had my sister. And similarly to what I just said about when they had my brother, my sister also does not look like my mom or dad. She looks like my grandma. My mom's mom. So they literally call my sister my grandma's nickname, which was Pumpkin. And that's what they refer to my sister as. And so again, just naturally, there is favoritism at play or the perception of favoritism. A lot of things that I was internalizing based on circumstances and how my mind would logically survey the situation. Family, we would go to family functions and it would always be like, oh my God, they would tell my brother, oh my God, you look so much like your uncle. They would tell my sister, oh my God, you look like so much like your grandma. And then they would literally be like, oh, hey, Christopher, how are you? <laughs> I'm the eldest in this family. The fuck? And I think what really bothers me about people and life in general is that I don't feel like people have self-awareness. And I think that that's because of a lack of therapy. Because there's just certain things I wouldn't say in certain, certain ways I wouldn't operate. And I don't think that people in my extended family or sometimes even my immediate family are aware of how, how I will, would perceive things based on those circumstances that I just explained. Even if I can say that I feel like all of this is happening subconsciously because I don't feel like my, my parents really do well, you know, I don't think that there is very clear favoritism now. And now that now that we're adults, the dynamics are definitely different. But, and there's other stuff that happened. So my parents are divorced. It's, the circumstances are different. I had one parent live with other, I had to live with my dad. My sister and brother had to live with my mom. It was just a thing. So I think that the dynamics changed a lot as the years went on, especially as my brother, sister, and I became teenagers and then adults. But growing up in the house, that is what the energy was. And I can only speak as me, the only person who was adopted in that circumstance. So, you know, everybody has their own lens and opinions and perspective and role and everything that I'm ever going to talk about in my life or write about in my book. And I think a big life lesson I've learned is, is that everybody is human. And so even though I can have a perception and an understanding of what my experience is in the family or in any, just in the world, I can also understand that somebody else is a human and might have a very different understanding and perception of what a circumstance is. And it's almost like that classic saying your side my side and the truth and i genuinely feel that most of the time it's somewhere in the middle but i think this goes back to the lack of self-awareness i don't feel like there are people that ex there are a lot of people i feel like there's a lack of people who use self-awareness to understand that they might not understand 
and they might not be ignorant or that they might need to go and do some work or whatever the case may be to understand that humans are humans and that there's always going to be my side, which is going to be biased towards me, your side, which is going to be biased towards you and the truth. And that in any conflict or any situation, or even if there wasn't another individual in your truth, that you need to be open to the idea and really work on the idea that your truth might not be as close to the truth in the middle as it should be. The actual reality, your truth, while it might be rooted in your perception and your position and what you were going through or your lack of therapy or your ignorance or whatever, that's your truth, that's what you believe, it might differ from what the actual reality is. Now I'm saying all that to say that this is about to get really messy and I don't want to make it seem like it's tea, it's just my life. Um, and so I want to preface that by saying that about perspectives and experiences and then also say that all of this is alleged. So the first question I had got on my Q&A that I posted on my Instagram story was, what kind of relationship do you have with your adopted parents and how have they influenced your life? Whew, child. All right, so we'll start with my dad because I already talked about that. My parents ultimately got divorced when I was 15 years old. I think I mentioned in the previous episode, I was homeschooled. So because we were born in Denver, after my uh, mom had my brother and sister and I, we were living in Denver, Colorado. My sister was born in 1997. I think in 1999 uh, was the Columbine shooting which happened very close to where I grew up and continued to grow up um, until I was nine years old in Colorado. Um, and my dad's boss's daughter, this white girl, I do not remember that lady's name, but she was blonde and pretty, you know, she went to Columbine High School and was there when it happened. So um, we were in a Montessori preschool, my brother and I at the time. And I, like, I think my parents left us in that school. I think that, I think that happened in April. They left us in school for the remainder of that semester and part of next, that next year, but on my birthday the following year. So I had to be, if that happened in, when did Columbine happen? Hold on. That happened on in 1999 in April. Right. So I had to be... I'd be five years old. So when I was six years old, on my birthday, my mom came and picked us up from school and she was like, I have a surprise for you. She came and picked my brother up from school. There were some other factors also that were playing, that played a part in them deciding to homeschool us. Uh, besides the Columbine thing, they were pushing ADHD drugs a lot of the time and my mom is health food crazy, not conscious, crazy. So, and they were really on top of research. I will give her her respect though. She knows what she's talking about in a lot of things, but she was crazy. And so the pills and the Columbine and us being black kids and racism and being kids of privilege and yada, 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 led to them deciding to homeschool me and my brother and all of us. So she picked us up from school and she's like, I have a surprise for you. And we had a home in Golden, Colorado, uh, a very large home. Um, yeah. It, 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 it was a mansion, okay, in, in Golden, Colorado, overlooking mountains. Um, and I don't even say that to brag because we definitely foreclosed on that home. 
short like years down the loan line so it wasn't like we were rich 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 we were still figuring it out but my dad was in tech and has been in tech for a long time and money ebbs and flows in tech and so money was money and then money wasn't economy etc etc so there were issues but yes it was a mansion in golden colorado and we had a huge unfinished basement so when we came in we my mom was like go downstairs to the basement and we came into the basement and there were like hundreds of white kids in our basement we lived in Colorado. We were always the only blacks, almost always, in all of these, like, bougie, privileged spaces. And so, like, surrounding the basement was white kids. And a falconer in the center flying a bird around in the basement. And my brother and I, my sister was with her because she was still young. She wasn't in school yet. My brother and I were like, what the, what the, it's my birthday. What the actual fuck is, like, what is going on? And so, I, you know, she, we intergage with this, what we come to find out was a homeschool group, which is basically just a place where a whole bunch of parents who homeschool their kids um, take their kids, like, it's groups. So you would go to field trips together, and sometimes, for example, if my mom wasn't good at math, another mom might teach me and my brother math while my mom teaches him reading and whatever, okay? So that is how we started being homeschooled. And this is another little tangent, but the same woman who my mom had met that she befriended to, and introduced us into the homeschooling group also introduced my mom to Messianic Judaism. And what Messianic Judaism is, it is Judaism that f believes what Christians believe. So, and again, I, I am... I. I don't believe in religion, so if I fuck this up, I really don't care. So I don't mean to offend anybody, but like genuinely, I do not care. What I, how I understand it is, is that Jewish people believe, or Jewish people believe that the person who Christians call Christ was a false prophet or uh, you know a liar, basically, and that when they crucified him, they were just in doing so. So they are still waiting for the first coming of Christ, and messianic judaism jewish people believe what christian believed is that christ died for their sins but they still follow christian tradition or jewish traditions and so they believe everything in the old testament or new testament but they don't really read the new testament they believe they read and do the torah readings and everything in the old testament and they don't celebrate christmas they don't celebrate pagan holidays so they don't celebrate christmas they don't celebrate easter they celebrate all Jewish holidays, and they just believe what Christians believe. No black people in there either, baby. Okay? Um, and so around the same time that the rug got ripped out from us and we're being homeschooled, we're also now Jewish, and so we don't get Christmas. We don't get Halloween. We get nothing. At Easter or whatever, now we have Jewish holidays. Sukkot, Yom Kippur, Purim, Rosh Hashanah, Hanukkah, Passover, the works. Uh, 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 um, now our mansion has a big old tent in the front of our house in the fall for Sukkot. And we have like don't no longer have Christmas trees. We have Hanukkah and we're eating potato latkes and we're going around our black family members. And they're like, okay, so you're the most successful ones. And you're judgy. You don't come around very much. You're homeschooling your kids. Your kids talk white as fuck. And you're Jewish. So there was already weird energy between us and our extended family. And like, because we were weird. 
Okay? Um, the original question was my relationship with my parents, but I had to set it up that way. Uh, and so we were homeschooled all the way up until my parents got divorced. And then because they got divorced, my mom was required to go get a job because from the moment she married my dad until the moment they got divorced, she never had to work. So when they got divorced and the separation was initiated, the requirements were that the kids had to go to school, she had to get a job, and those were the requirements from what I know. The requirements that affected me that I, I was allowed to know. So I went to a charter school, University Preparatory Academy, and my brother and sister went to public school like public school, the one down the street from our house. At this point, we had moved to California. We moved to California when I was nine. I'll get into the in-betweens, girl. Um, at this point, we had moved to California, and so we went to public school. Then I spent some time away. I was just shipped away because my mom and I really started to not get along. And so that's how I, we got here, is that my mom and I really started not to get along. This is when I was about 15. And I was able to start speaking up and being understanding kind of what the dynamics were and that some of this was wrong. I didn't really understand that it was abuse, but there were like outside influences, especially once I started going to school that like, or at least being allowed to do things now that I'm a teenager that I wasn't traditionally allowed to do because I was a sheltered homeschool kid. Ooh, sorry, pause. One key detail is that also when we became Jewish and when we became homeschooled, we no longer had TV and we didn't listen to secular music. So what I mean by that is, all we read were books. You see how, okay, all them books right there, baby. My parents took away, I'm talking about Little Mermaid, I'm talking about The Lion King, I'm talking about, we didn't, like there was, we didn't have a TV. Our entertainment room in our house turned into a library. They would take us to, thrift stores and buy up all the old books. We had hundreds of books and they got rid of all, like they got rid of all TV. No, we didn't grow up with video games. We didn't grow up with computers really until we got to middle school and high school. Like they, all we did was read at all times. And to be honest, like if I'm being honest, my mom spent more time on handwriting and our English and writing I mean, she spent time on it, but like she spent more time on like math and sciencey things and field trips in that nature because the reading she forced us to do, our grammar, our writing was already top notch. Like I was reading at a college reading level very early on. When I went to public school, this is just a side story I have to tell. It's so random. Um, I went into English class. I think I was a at this point I had it was a new school and I was a sophomore or maybe it was the second semester of freshman year and I go into the classroom and I tell the lady or she gives us it's the first day of class that semester she gives us the list of books and I look down at the list and I'm as she's giving it she hands my paper I'm looking at the list and she's like like three seats back and I say out loud because I talked to myself a bunch I'm like I've read all these I think there was like eight books and I can't remember what they were, but yeah, I read all of them. Um, and I think some of them were Shakespeare. And I'm like, baby, I, my parents, I've seen this play on field trips. And I've seen the ballet too, Buki. Have you? So she's like, no, you haven't. I don't know why you guys always lie. First of all, you guys. 
who, because I identify as a lady, and I know you're not talking about me being black. Anyway, and I was like, okay, well, what's the final project? And she's like, well, it's a multi-choice quiz, multiple choice quiz about the readings and assignments and uh, two uh, like essay questions. I said, okay. And on Friday, give me the test, the questions, and the multiple tasings test. And when I pass that test, I'm going to read whatever I want for the rest of the semester. I passed that test with a 90. I was reading at a college reading level at fresh, on freshman year. So, so I'm, I'm dragging my parents and I'm going to say a lot of things about in this conversation. But truly, like the way they raised me, if I ever have a child, exact same thing. But I had no access to the real world. Like I did not, there was no secular music. There was no TV. We got access to secular things and watch TV and stuff in certain circumstances. Like if we went around our other family members or we went on vacation or we went to a friend's house who had it, those would, that would be the little glimpses that we had. But most of the things that you people my age grew up with, most of the music is stuff that I've learned over time once I went to public school. So when I went to public school and my parents got divorced, I, it was like I was Katie from Mean Girls. This is bothering me. Um, I had no clue what was happening. Um, and so once I started to go to public school and my, we, they, they kind of tried to ease us into it because I think that this was ultimately the idea. I just think that the divorce, the, the inevitable idea that either we would go to like some, um, like a, another school, whether it was private or public for high school because we would have to get into college or that we would just start to take college classes in high school. Um, because right before my parents got separated and I went into that charter school we would go to like a homeschool group where we would meet maybe like three times a week and this time it wasn't taught by our parents it would be taught by like teachers that they would pay to come in and there there were some black kids in that group and some Mexican kids like kids of color um, and then some of their parents were the ones who told my parents about the charter school which they first would not let me go some of my friends at that school who ultimately like were really weird and once we got to that school i ditched them which if you're listening sorry um but we I ended up going that's how i ended up going to that charter school now so i was going to that charter school but that first school when i would go to is when that little school before the charter school is when i my friends and their parents would start to say things about my relationship with my mom and how she would speak to me and how she would treat me. And just kids that would come around, people that would come to the house would be like, huh? There were just things that happened. You'll ha I'll have to talk about it more in depth in another episode or you'll have to be reading it about, read in it in my book that comes out next May. Um... Yeah, there were just some dynamics at play where people started to be like, that relationship is weird. And so because of that, that was another reason why my father influenced my dad to get divorced. There was money issues and my mom, um, hold please, because I had the worst. So it increased the divorce. So when they got separated, um, 
at first it was a trial for the first semester. And then in the second semester, it was like, okay, yeah, we're for sure getting a divorce. It's no longer a separation. So at that point, um, because my dad was a working man, he worked in tech. We, at that point, we lived in the Bay Area. So um, he was always traveling, always busy working. And my mom and I were not getting along. It was getting violent because um, now I'm 15, I'm a grown adult. And so the abuse and pushing me around and like telling me to do something and me not really being able to speak up for myself or understand that this might not be right was changing because now I was able to speak up for myself and you weren't going to, you weren't going to do me dirty because I know that this isn't right. Like I will bring the police up in this hoe because we grew up like Karen's. So yeah, I will call nine one motherfucking one and they will be up in here. And so it was very clear. And again, based on some other things that had happened in the past that me and my mom need to be separated. And so when, but my, I was too young and still too sheltered for my debt, me to be a latchkey kid either. So I got shipped off to live with a family friend, if you will, mm. in Houston, Texas. And my brother and sister went to live with my mom and we were separated. And then once the official move out separation happened and everybody was settled, I came back. So that was at the end of my freshman year. So that story I just told about homeschool, homeschooling, um, that happened in Texas. And when I came back, I moved in with my dad, I lived with my dad, and my brother and sister lived with my mom. And that's when the dynamics of the family started to change. Now, um, and so growing up, obviously because of the homeschooling situation, I had a very an intense relationship with my mom. And I would say that even if there wasn't abusive portions of that, just being homeschooled and not really having as many moments of separation that most kids have. For me, my brother and sister and I, all of us, I think the beauty and the curse of it is that like my family is much closer. Like we know each other much better than most families. Now, can we be honest about all the things we know? No. Can we hold each other accountable? No. Are we close now? No. But I think that also that plays a part of it. All of us are very, very much like not as lovey-dovey. I am probably the most sentimental one. And sometimes my dad, if he gets in his feelings, he's a Gemini. We like, now that we're all adults and everybody, like we all live in separate states. We all have our own chosen families. I am usually the one that has to like push for the effort, which is so weird as the black sheep and the oldest now. It's so full circle. Like to be more sentimental and be like, hey guys, like, but I think it's because growing up, even when my dad traveled, there was just not a lot of outside influence. And there would just be days where we would just be in the house all day. Just me and my brother, my sister and my mom. And we would do things, you know, mow the lawn. We had a huge backyard with um, fruit trees. My mom would like can fruit and make jam. And we had a garden or we would go to the park or whatever. But there was no, we didn't go to school for eight hours of a day and live with strangers to be targets. And again, 
this is just being grown and adults and just understanding that I grew up as a kid of privilege. My parents saw that first pew pew incident at Columbine and understood immediately where culture was going and said, uh-uh, not my black kids and pulled us out of school. So I can be upset about some of the things that transpired, but I, and I can be, I can hold people, my parents accountable and I can be like, you did this to me and I, you know, this is a fact. This is not a perception. I can still say that some of these things and the way they raised me made them, make them good parents. And so I have to give props where props are due. Because to be able to see that and now look where we are, they just needed to see it one time before they made a change. Because they weren't fucking with that. But us being together 24-7, 365, you know, I know there's that stereotype of like soccer mom in the minivan. Like we were in that minivan. Like it was a sprinter van on the housewives. We would drive everywhere. There was a point where one full year, we just drove to all 50, like all drive, a lot, not all, but a most of the drivable states. We went and stayed in South Dakota for like two weeks, saw Mount Rushmore, saw Crazy Horse, slept on Indian reservations. Um, well, I guess Native American reservations. Saw Crazy Horse, slept in teepees, drove to Iowa and through Texas, saw the Grand Canyons. Um, Yosemite, Utah, Salt Lakes, like uh, Tahoe, Montana, Oregon. Where else? Uh, my parents are from Ohio and Toledo and Detroit. Uh, we would just, we drove everywhere in that minivan, green minivan. My mom called her Nellie. She'd be like, whoa, Nellie. So we were always together. And there's just a... There's a trauma bond. There's an understanding. There's just a difference. A, a genuine respect and understanding. Like we can drag each other, but I almost feel like it's like we went through Big Brother. And so there might be hurt. There might be trauma. There might be resentment. There might be unaddressed things. But there's like a respect for the fact that our experience was very unique. And that it has created a, such a different set of five people, regardless of where they ended up or like what their role was, if you were making this a, a narrative villain or whatever. But we are all so very and specifically unique and different. But we were given the space to do so. I think that that's my relationship with my family. And... Um, being adopted, <sighs> that black sheep feeling, I think combined with being the gay kid, combined to having behavioral issues, um, and having issues just because like my birth mother did drugs and alcohol in utero. So like I was born with fetal alcohol syndrome and, you know, again, some of this is things that have been told to me, so allegedly, but some of it is just what I know because it was my lived experience. My mother, once my brother was born, 
had a hard time attaching to me because he was her firstborn. And so where it's like, yeah, she brought me home from the hospital. It's kind of like surrogacy in a way. And the only way I can liken it, it's like you get a new puppy and you bring the puppy home and you love the puppy or whatever, but it's definitely a different type of love because it's a puppy. And then while you still have that puppy, you go and get a baby. You have a baby. You carry a baby for nine months in the womb. And the whole time you're still taking care of the puppy and treating the puppy like it's a baby. But then when the baby actually comes, it's time for the puppy to be a dog. Not your baby. Because you've got a baby. And I think, again, as her firstborn, and, you know, now this is just my perception. My dad is always not in the house. I am the feminine, more sensitive one. I think that, like, my brother is my mom's man in her life stable man in her life that is just my opinion based on some things that have also happened in his adulthood that is that was the you know her firstborn the the what she viewed as the man of the house he was the one who could fix things and was worked with his hands and you know was just around he she's the one he could she can rely on now that my parents are divorced and she's doing her own thing yeah And then my sister is the baby of the family and the only girl. So then you have this middle child who's really the eldest child, the older boy, who, and then the really eldest child who's a problem child who's also gay who doesn't have the same respect or adoration that the other children have because of the stuff that I was going through mentally and my behaviors or whatever. So like, again, my perception, these two are on a pedestal and I'm down here and it doesn't matter what I do and try to to try to prove myself that I'm as good as the other two on the pedestal, it didn't matter. It was never going to be enough. I was always a problem child. And then my brother and I would always butt heads because that dynamic of one being the eldest child and the other one being treated like the eldest child and you thinking you can son me because you, people treat you like you're the eldest but I am the eldest. That has always been our issue because we're also 13 months apart. So we're damn near twins. Very, very Cain and Abel, if we're using biblical references. Just that, and could not be more different if we try, even as adults. Polar opposites. Um... So, I would always, being adopted just always played a huge role in my mind. I felt like such a black sheep. Um, I felt like, I think that being gay made it worse. Um, because I hated myself, I hated that I had feelings, I hated that I acted that way, and I felt like, you know, everybody, extended family, immediate family, treated me so weird 
and didn't know what to do with me and was so uncomfortable or would laugh or snicker or like have opinions or say little slick comments about my femininity. And so, you know, we would go around immediate family and it would be like, Hey, Brand, hey, to my brother, hey, you look, you look so much like your uncle. Hey, to my sister, you look so like my grandma. Oh, hey, Christopher. And then it would be like they were weird about me being gay or feminine at that time because I was too young to be gay and make fun of me or tease me or tell me to butch up. or. And so I always, and my family would tell me I was going to hell and pray over me and holy water and I was a problem kid. I was always in trouble, yada, 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 yada. So like, I just felt like such a black sheep and I really always used to wish that I was never adopted and that my mom was some rich, you know, you come up because you don't know that like after her drug addiction, she, you know, I had all these fantasies, like came up on a lot of money and she could be on American Idol or like, you know, she was married a prince and had to run off and or just all these crazy stories and scenarios, which I think is how I wanted knew I wanted to become a storyteller about where I came from. Almost as a way to like virtual reality to like get myself out of my current circumstances, like to come up with a, a dream world where what I was experiencing and the desperation to get out of it would make it worth it. Like, okay, I'm in hiding because she's a princess on the run. You know, like she was a drug dealer. I didn't know anything about drug dealers, but I'm just giving examples of like what I would think was going on in my real, like where I was from to kind of make this okay. And I think it's just hard because there's no one in my support system or family that know like that knows what that feels like and i think you know once i got older once i really started to go through things once i went to live with my dad my my mom and i stopped speaking i was 15 years old and i remember i went up to her room one day and basically, like, the last conversation we had, I kind of asked her, I was like, like, how can, like, at this point, I'm almost an adult. I'm 15. Like, how can we fix this? Like, what have I, like, you hate me. And so what, what, how can I, what can I do? What have I done? Like, like, how can I, what? And I... She just said nothing. There's nothing you can do. Get out of my room. And so we didn't speak again. I turned around. She said, close my door. I walked out her room. And I think right after that is when we had a really big physical altercation. And um, because she hadn't fed me all day, I was home from school on winter break. I had to be uh, 15 years old, newly 15 years old, and was going to that charter school. And she had me in my room. And because I had snuck out a bunch and done a whole bunch of stuff, I had an alarm on my door. 
And so it was kind of like an invisible boundary that I always respected because the alarm would go off anytime I opened the door. But I'm 15 at this point. I'm a grown ass man. You haven't fed me all day. I'm home from school on break. I'm normally never here because I'm at school. Bitch, what the fuck? So I just open the door. I come downstairs. I start to go in the freezer. She's in the kitchen. She has a pink rubber glove. And this is all alleged. And she starts hitting me repeatedly and kicking me and beating me with her rubber gloves on. And then she takes the rubber gloves on and continues to flog me with the rubber gloves. And chase me around. So then I go to call the, the family friend that I ended up moving to Texas with. I go to call him because at that time he lived in California. Um, and I call him and tell him he needs to come get me. And he says, okay, I'm on my way. And then I start to call the police. Well, oh, no, sorry. I, I ask her to, I, I try to grab the phone. I, and she's like, what do you need the phone for? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to call the family friend. Um, and then she said no. And then I walk away and I said, okay, so I'm, then I'm going to go to the neighbor's house and have them call the police. And so as I'm walking away, then she throws the phone at me. And the phone hits me in the back of the head. I pick the phone up. I call the family friend. And then I set the phone down because she starts to assault me again with her fists, her hands, and her the rubber gloves. Um, at this point, she had chased me up the, our stairs. We lived in a two-story home in um, San Jose, California. And um, we were at the top of the stairs when we had that phone exchange because the phone sat on like a counter upstairs on the way to our entertainment room, which was our library. And then, so then she chased me back down the stairs on the way down the stairs as she's still flogging, beating me, kicking me with her fists and things. I'm a grown ass man, 15. And so I'm not swinging back. I'm not doing anything. I slide down the stairs, like, you know, kind of comedy wise and end up hitting my head on the tile floor at the bottom. And she chases me down the stairs and we're at the bottom of the stairs. I'm at the foot of the stairs sitting there like holding my head and she's up top of me, standing over me. And she starts to try to swing at me again and I kick her in the stomach. And I will never forget this as long as I live. That woman looked me in my face with a smile. Now she's smiling, a sick joker smile like this. And then she goes, yeah, that's right, keep going. I looked at her and I knew what her intent was. She wanted me to whoop her ass so that she could call the cops and get me the fuck about that family. And I s gladly stood up. Mind you, my Alzheimer's grandmother who was living us as we were taking care of her, elderly grandmother is sitting downstairs at the kitchen table looking at this, screaming at her to stop. My brother and sister are crying their bloody eyes out upstairs, screaming at her to stop. Also, again, I'm 15. My brother is 14. My sister has to be 12. They claim to not remember any of this now or bits and pieces or that, you know, they knew it was wrong. But, but it was that, was that, that bad. And so my family friend comes or whatever. He's like, I want to call the police. He calls my dad and, and, he was a friend of my dad's and my dad begged him not to call the police. We so didn't call the police. I left. And that was the last time I ever saw my mom ever until I, until like, like ever saw her live with her in that we maybe like did brief things in passing. Um, but that was the end of our relationship at that point.
Um, oh, and in that instance, like while that was happening, um, oh, after after I kicked her and then she made that face and said, you know, there we go, that's right, keep going. I went walked outside. On my way outside, she pretended like she was going to follow me. And then when I got out the door, she closed the sliding glass door and locked it. And I said, how could... How can you do this to me? And looked at me through glass. I said, how can you do this to me? I'm your kid. She said, you're not my kid. You're garbage. I never wanted you. All my children are royalty. You're not my kid. And turned around. My brother and sister came and unlocked the door and let me back inside. And I sat in the living room bawling my eyes out until my family friend came there. So that was the end of our relationship. So keep in mind that the primary parent growing up through my entire life until 15, this point, was my mom. And so I had no relationship with my dad. I hated my dad because I felt he was very mean to me. And for reasons now that we know, because he was gay, he, there was just this weird-ass energy. I felt like he, you know, my mom always used him to go put the law down. And... There was a lot of things that went on abuse-wise while he wasn't home that I don't think he realized was going on. I know he didn't realize were going on. Things that he hears now, like when I, I remember I told him in therapy after I tried to off myself when I was 17, that like my mom, one day I told her I need to go to the bathroom and she needed to keep it, she needed to keep an eye on me because I was always getting into trouble. Um... And I said, I need to go to the bathroom. And she's like, well, I don't want to walk you over there. This is in our own house. Um, and so she called my sister down and told her to go get a bucket and some bleach out of the laundry room. And then she poured some bleach in the bucket and poured some water in the bucket and said, go in there. And I said, I have to poop. And she said, okay, and... And I shat in the bucket. I will never forget the bleach splash onto my ass. And it hurt so bad. Um, and so my I told my dad that story in therapy. And he like initially called me a liar. And said, I don't know why you're lying. And I said, I don't have no reason to, like, to make that up. And so I always saw him as the, the iron fist that would kind of put that abuse and that fist down. But as a kid, you don't understand, you assume, like my parents always try to make sure that they were a united front, but I just don't think I understood that even my mom knew that her behavior was not appropriate and was abusive. And also because I was actively in therapy and people were trying to figure out what the fuck was going on with me and all these acting out that I was doing, a lot of the acting out that was happening was direct cause of abuse that was happening in the home. But because... I was in therapy for being adopted and having fetal alcohol syndrome and they made it a big deal that I was adopted. Like, I honestly feel like I would have no problems if they never told me I was adopted. Truly. But it was like, oh, you're adopted. Then you're, you know, you your mom did drugs and alcohol in the womb. So now you have fetal alcohol syndrome. Oh, you're gay. So you can't be yourself. Like, stop being yourself. And then it was like they had two other kids and my behavior was so different than theirs so what's going on oh my god he's not attached to us let's look into reactive attachment theory which is a debunked theory i'll i'm gonna do an expose on that but like oh my god he can't connect with the mom 
And my mom in these situations would not be honest about how she was treating me back home. And the gaslighting and the way she would like flip things around or the way I, you know, we would get in therapy and I would be like, wait a minute, you said and did what? And she would like say I was a liar and making it up and acting out was wild. And so, but, but there were things that my dad had done that co-signed some of his views. He's not innocent, but I just don't, I think he did not have an understanding about how dark and twisted it really got. Um, and the family friend had to kind of explain to me that my dad was starting to understand that the, that my mom was the problem after 15 years of multiple therapists, thousands and thousands of dollars spent on me and my behavior and my issues that because I was old enough to vocalize what was going down in the home, he, he, he needed to change some things up. And was my the family friend knew that my dad was already taking the steps to like, like really make the divorce serious, and kind of understood the dynamics. And I used to love my mom, and I think that that's so crazy. It's almost like Stockholm syndrome or whatever. It's like she was so abusive, and the, the further away I got from her, the more I understood that. But I think as a kid, I was my mom's biggest fan. And the family friend literally one day had to stop me and pull me aside and be like, "You have no idea." what that relationship is and how abusive it really is. And the family friend ultimately was like somebody that they initially had sent me to because I was acting out and they used, they paid him. Um, but then him and I came, became very close. And then I would just go live with him when my, when I would get in trouble and my mom needed a break. I would do anything and they'd be like, oh my God, you're going to his house. I think sometimes she just needed a break and would just come up with a reason that I was going to his house. But what they didn't know is that he was married to a woman. They were married, they were best friends and they were old and they were single and they wanted to get joint insurance or something like that. But he was a gay man and he was a gardener. And so I would work with him close, but he was a gay man. No, this was not weird or creepy. And he, cause he didn't even like, he did not tell me that he was gay. I took me, if we were, close long before that but he was into i should have known but i had no way to know he was into dream girls he was into he told me basically taught me everything i need to know about gay queer and even black pop culture he was a man from houston texas a gay man and he had a long gay life he used to be on broadway was on a couple soaps back in his day an actor um and so he kind of gave me an introduction into the real world from a kid who wasn't reading books and so i loved to go to his house they thought it was a punishment. And I was like, oh, yeah, please let me go over there and watch the Cheetah Girls and Desperate Housewives and the Housewives. Let's go. Um, but he was the one that had to, like, basically say, like, I, why do you love her so much? She hates you. And, like, I fake it with her because they pay me. But, like, she hates you. And thinks that you're the scum of the earth. And her perception of you is so fucking flawed based on everything I know about you because I spend so much time with you and work like it is rooted in some shit that is so deep and so beyond anything you have going on. She hates you. And that is a sick woman on multiple levels. She's so sick 
you know, she, my mom would disappear on stints as a kid and they wouldn't tell us where she was. And allegedly I've been told now as an adult by my father that those were instances when she tried to off herself or had bipolar breaks and were, was hospitalized or would go off and disappear and would be hospitalized. And so she was not well. And then health focus, health of steps, so does not take actual medicine. She does holistic practices all the time and uses religion as a way to avoid self-accountability. And she kind of talks with a baby voice sometimes and infantilizes herself and in order to avoid accountability and acts simpist. She's just a twisted, manipulated cunt, truthfully. And will never, ever, ever take accountability for anything and will gaslight and twist things around and move in just a snaky, shysty ass way. If you've ever seen the haves and the have nots, my mother is Veronica. Now, I can, again, I've given a lot of grace and understanding and like respect where it's due, but the facts are the facts is that that is not a kind person, that is a sick individual. And the, my first insight to that being, the her being that sick, and was that man being like, I don't know why you are so obsessed with her and love everything she does and are, are so desperate for her love. She hates you. And so that's how all this got started. So I had no relationship with my dad. And then I went to go live with the family friend for the, like in the middle of the semester and went to an actual public school in a city like almost an hour and a half outside of Houston, the country. The family friend I had, he um, was a son of a policeman in this small town in Livingston, Texas. And it was a family of policemen, redneck as can be, but not prejudiced at all. Never made me feel different. And I lived with them, his mom, his sisters, his brothers, and went to a public high school in the middle of redneck ass Texas, Livingston. I went to Cold Springs High School. But I was a homeschooled preppy kid who had been to public school, a charter school, for half of two semesters. Gay as can be in country-ass Hicktown. But if they fucked with me, I had the police family pulling up deep quickly to get you the fuck together. And one thing about the family friend, he did not play about me. So I came back from that and my dad was separated. My brother and sister lived with my mom and my dad was separated. And it was just a lot of headbutting. I came back and I feel like Texas was my gay boot camp. Like I, that was my gay boot camp. So that really put me, I had to stand in my truth or people calling me F word this, F word that, all this crazy stuff. And uh, that was how I really learned to be gay. And my dad and I clashed because I was no longer taking like the, oh, you're going to hell. Oh, you don't be gay, yada, yada. We're not doing that anymore, girl. Grow the fuck up. And so we really butted heads. Huh. 
I told you that that was going to be a very, very long episode. Uh, thank you so much. If you made it to the very end, there will be a part two. I will continue that. I am currently rethinking the format of my show and I may or may not record the main episodes live once a week. So I am planning on doing another TikTok live to pick the story back up. I am unsure when. If you are hoping to get an update on when that schedule is, please make sure you follow me on Instagram at mycurvegoesdeep. Again, that's at mycurvegoesdeep. There's a ton of items in my link tree. I also just launched a merch line. I have some great, great merch I worked really, really hard on. And so um, again, I'm always begging at the end of these podcasts, but if you would like to support a queer black broke student you can do so and also get some really cool merch with great messaging all right guys well i am gonna go back to stressing about homework and i will see you guys in the next episode bye